When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, good to be with you, Ashley. Excited for the special edition of Jesuitical. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. We Whenever we branch out of our, our, our format, we work really hard to keep it within the format when we do the show normally, right? Like Signs of the Times interview, as one friend speaks to another. And anytime we do anything different and like bonus episodes, I always feel like it's a bit of a risk. Yes. And this time it's extra risky because we don't get to shape the show. Listeners, you have with your questions for Zach and I. We're really grateful. We've got a mailbag episode. We haven't done one of these. If you listen to other podcasts, this is a regular feature sometimes. Um, but basically, we're opening up the floor to you to talk about really anything. So there's some, I think we got some questions about our own personal experiences, our, our takes on different things. So exciting stuff. But we are not going to be able to do it alone. No, we are going to bring on our producer. I was talking about our drink. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but, but we, so put, put aside our, put aside our producer for now, but. Uh, yes. So our question of, that we always ask is what's on tap. And it actually coincides quite nicely with a listener question, which is going to take a lot of backstory, but I think it's worth it. So from Susan de Tremont, did Zach ever track down his lost wine? <laughs> Okay, so I am going to tell a story. So Susan was uh, on pilgrimage with us in Italy, and I did lose some wine. Uh, I lost more than some wine. Um, I lost my luggage while we were in Italy. And, and he lost it, not the airlines. Yeah, yeah I know. Lost. When people say like, oh, my luggage was <laughs> lost, right? The passive voice. Um, we were checking out of a hotel. I am not a morning person, so I was not on time. I skipped breakfast, um, hustling to the bus to not get left in Tuscany. Although on second thought, I maybe should have been left in Tuscany. And in the hotel lobby, there's a pile of suitcases. And we had been told that, you know, I don't, it, I, whatever, I don't know what we were told. I assumed that was our group's pile of suitcases and that they were just going to somehow end up on the bus. Um, well, lo and behold, we get to our next destination in Venice and everybody's taking their bags off the bus. And I've slow, I'm slowly realizing my critical error. <laughs> so I uh, called the hotel and they were like, oh, yeah, that was a totally separate group. We have no idea where your bag is, um, but let us make some phone calls to you. So long story short, uh, and you had a personal investment in this because I was trying to be a nice person and it was your birthday. So I was like, I'll take your wine for you. I'll yeah. carry it around. I, I just went ahead and lost it. Um but lo and behold, uh, a couple months later, my suitcase traveled around the world and made it back to my door in Brooklyn, New York, wrapped in a black trash bag. bag. <laughs> um, it looked like it had been through hell and back. Um, and as soon as I opened it, they handled, the, the suitcase fell apart effectively. But the wine inside was salvaged. So we are taking this opportunity to, to drink it. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry I lost your wine. I'm hey, glad we got it back. It's aged quite nicely. Yes. All right, and now we are going to bring on someone else. 
to help us with this episode, which is our producer, Sebastian Gomes, who has gone through the mailbag and picked out some of the best questions. I'm afraid we won't get to every single question, but this hopefully won't be the last time that we do this. Yeah, unless it's terrible, in which case we won't subject you to it again. But um, really excited. So welcome back to the show, Sebastian. Thanks, guys. Good to be with you again. Yeah, you're off to a good start for this new format. (laughs) I know. Recovering lost wine, lost wit, (laughs) lost youth. Let's see if we can keep it going. Yeah, so let's get right to it. You guys invited questions from your Patreon community, uh, out in your Facebook group, on Twitter. Uh, And as you mentioned, we got a bunch. Um, But as promised, we are going to start with the listeners who are in your Patreon community. I think it's patreon.com slash America, America Media, Media. Yep. if you want to support Jesuitical. Uh, and so our first question comes from a longtime patron and listener, Nick Frega. And he has a really interesting question, kind of a funny question. What is your favorite animal? There is a context to this. There is a context to this. He qualifies it by by saying, if you already answered this in Carrie Weber's episode, I apologize for forgetting. So just for some context here, um, we had Carrie Weber on your guys' show a few weeks ago after she came back from Rome after interviewing Pope Francis, that incredible interview that we published. And Carrie was there. And one of the questions that she brought to Francis, though I don't think it made it into the final transcript, was a question from her six-year-old, which was, Pope Francis, what's your favorite animal? And Pope and you- Francis dodged it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Totally punted on the question. <laughs> totally punted. He said, I'm something of, I, I like all the animals or I'm, amalga- I'm an amalgamation of all the yeah. animals. I didn't like that answer. I was I wanted something more from Pope Francis. I thought he would have a favorite animal, but you know, I I had hoped that uh, Carrie's six year old would have prepared a hard hitting follow up <laughs> for an evasive answer like that. But we didn't what get if, one. What if he said something theologically problematic like a snake? Mm. He's like, actually, you know, I think the snake's gotten a bad rap in Genesis. <laughs> Are we sure that was a snake? I think we I don't need to know. Start a committee about this. Yeah, I was Slytherin was my favorite house. Pope Francis, twenty twenty two. All right, so Nick wants to know, uh, what is your guy's favorite animal? Do you have one? Uh, I, I'm a dog guy. I love nothing more than playing playing some fetch in the backyard. Um, so that's my that's my mm, answer. Interesting. I am in the same family, but it's a fox. And a fox belongs to the dog family, but he has many qualities of a cat, which is kind of like my favorite blend. Because I really, I you know, I'm more of a cat person, but I love dogs. And foxes are not only wily, playful, adorable, all the things I live would want to be in life. I, I take for granted that foxes are like that. I feel like no one's ever seen a fox, actually. I know maybe spurts people have, but do we really know that foxes are wily? Yes. All right. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> all right. No reason to get into the, the, the hot, deep, theological, the deep theological questions right now. <laughs> Save that for later. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Nick, for, for that question. <laughs> So we sent in two questions, and the second one he wants to know is, uh, how do you feel that your role as a professional Catholic impacts your experience at your parish, presuming you guys go to Mass every Sunday at a parish? We do, most Sundays. (laughs) Um, Should we maybe define what we mean by professional Catholic or what I think Nick is getting at by professional Catholic? Yeah, so we are, our jobs, where we get our money is within the Catholic Church. We report to the Jesuits and ultimately to the Pope. Well, and, and, and a bit even more than that, like we just spend all day doing yeah. church stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is different from most people who live and work in the quote real world. Yeah, right? I went to mass in our little chapel here at the office today. Yeah, which not everybody gets to do. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like that shapes your experience with the parish community? Yes. And I think it's changed over time. When I first moved to New York and... I was working for America, finding a new parish. 
don't know, I was pretty gung-ho. I was like, oh, I have something to contribute. So I'm going to get very involved at my parish. Um, and I was a lector and a Eucharistic minister. And I went to the young adult happy hour things. Um, and I have to say, I, I don't know exactly when it happened. I think probably during the pandemic, I started to get a bit of like parish burnout where it was just like. Well, you were on parish council, too. Which... I was also on parish council. And it was like a time where Work for America had moved virtual and work for the parish council was virtual. And I was just like, this is too much. I yeah. can't I can't hang up from working at America and sign into a different Zoom to talk about kind of the exact, not the exact same things, but like, oh, how do we reach Catholics during this time? I was like, I'm spending, <laughs> I'm spending nine to five trying to think about that. I can't. So I felt like it kind of got to a point where I was like, I need to take a step back and just be a normal parishioner. Yeah, I I feel similarly. I knew kind of going in that if I wanted to have a Catholic day job that I needed my parish to just like be a place where I could just be nourished. Right. I mean, I will, I will say like that dictated how I picked my parish too. I think we, we attend a very high functioning parish, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and so there's not like this natural thing that, you know, I would have to step into and like, it's like, oh, you're a young person with communication skills. You should run our social media, right? Like they already got people that do that thing. They've got effective lay ministers. And so I really can just kind of show up and, and just sort of reap the benefits from that, which, you know, maybe I, on some days I feel guilty about, but um, most of the time I'm really grateful for because I think you're right. I think it is hard to do both of those things all the time. And I think anyone who is a campus minister or works in a Catholic school will, will kind of tell you that they want those experiences to be a little different, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Nick, for sending in that question and for being a Patreon supporter. Uh, we're going to move on to the next question. This one's from Michaela Bank, who's a new patron uh, to Jesuitical, and she is from Switzerland originally. Yeah. And she has a really interesting question that will broaden our perspective a little bit. What is your experience with the Catholic Church around the world in terms of the different traditions that are practiced? Um, she says that she's lived in several countries, including the United States, and those experiences have made her feel a bit indifferent about some of the details, some of the particularities that people tend to get hung up on. And she gives a few examples, like how some people prefer to receive the host in their hand versus their mouth, um, how some people stand and kneel at different times, how they have a preference for Latin or celebrating mass in the vernacular or whatever it might be. So she says she's seen a bit of all of this in the different countries that she's living in. Uh, and she wants to know, is this just her? Like, has this global international experience, which opened her eyes, is that unique to her? Or have you guys had a similar experience? Well, first, I want to say uh, thank you to signing up all the way from Switzerland. I have been to mass in Switzerland, believe it or not. Um, it was my first weekend trip studying abroad. It was a weekend in Interlaken. And I found the local Catholic church there and went, understood nothing. Um, <laughs> as soon as this question came in, I and saw, I saw it. I was really excited to talk about it because this is actually really meaningful to me in my own experience. Um, I, I've written about this in other places, but you know, in college, I had a bit of a, a tratty streak in me. I was very much gung-ho about the Latin Mass. I kind of looked down on anything that wasn't the Latin Mass. And it really was my experience studying abroad um, where just sort of broadening my horizon and seeing, you know, how Catholics in Italy worship and how they in Switzerland worship, how in China, where the situation is, you know, really difficult at sometimes, um, how they worship. It really just sort of broke me out of my very narrow-minded view of what I thought the church was. And so all these, I love to debate and talk about the the liturgy wars, so to speak, because I do think it's it's fun and interesting and important. but. It, it lowered the temperature a lot on those debates for me. 
if you if you haven't done this, if you're like afraid that like you're going to mass in a different country in a different language and you're not going to understand anything, like I will say what I have been surprised by is how much I understand about what's happening in a mass, even if I have no idea what the language is. Um, there is like a universality and all that difference that I've always like felt at home with when traveling that I've appreciated. All right. Thank you, Michaela, for sending in that question. Our next question comes from Helena Federick, who sent her question in on Facebook. And uh, for those of you who are not part of the Jesuitical Facebook group, you can find Zach and Ashley at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. And Helena says that she misses the perspective that Olga brought to the team. Uh, Olga Segura was a host, a co-host of Jesuitical for you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I think what three the first three years, four years yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, founded it with us. Yeah. Founded it with you. Um, and so Helena says she thoroughly appreciates both uh, Ashley and Zach's perspective, but senses that there is a gap in perspective as well. So uh, she wants to know what are the chances of expanding uh, the Jesuitical team um, and how are we filling that gap? Yeah. So I'd say the founding of Jesuitical was very much a product of an actual friendship between myself, Zach, and Olga. And that relationship really informed how this podcast was shaped and, and grew over the years because we felt comfortable with each other. It was it was a lively, fun conversation among friends over drinks. And so that's a hard thing to replace. So when Olga moved on from America, we didn't feel like we could just have a job search and, yeah. and find a third co-host, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, we miss Olga too is the, is the answer to that question. But I think you're right. I don't know if... It, it didn't make sense just to have like a one to one replacement, as you said. Um, obviously, I think you know Helen is you know getting at a point where like Olga did bring a different perspective than you and I brought, and you know we we can only be ourselves, and we try to we try to work on that, and it's an ongoing conversation on how to bring in more perspectives into the show. You know, some of the ways we can do that is through different segments here and there, uh, being mindful of who we interview, who we actively reach out to to bring onto the show too. So like that's that's an ongoing thing in terms of like what the future of the show. I mean, I don't know, like we've been doing it for a while now and we've got a pretty set formula that we like. But I'll tell you what, there have been like five people in the last six months who have come in here and said, oh, you guys are still calling yourself a a young adult podcast, which I take offense to um, (laughs) as I'm clinging to the last years of my 20s. But I think we are open to thinking about the future of the show and what it what it's supposed to be. And we assume that, you know, we're growing up as we do the show. We assume people in our audience are growing up with us. And so, yeah, definitely open to switching things up a little bit. I would let me jump in too, just from a production standpoint too, at the back end. Like um, we're always looking to respond to the audience in ways that are meaningful to them, right? Mm-hmm. So if the people who submitted questions or the people who are just listening to this episode um, have ideas for different, you know, people they want to hear on the podcast or perspectives that they that they don't think are being dealt with. We're definitely open to that. It's definitely a, a two way communication, and we're doing our best to to put out the best product. Definitely, definitely. All right, thank you, Helena, for asking that question. Uh, also on Facebook, Nathaniel Roy sent in a question, and this is a fun one. Have either of you been watching the World Cup? We're recording this right after Argentina has uh, won the World Cup, which was an incredible final. Um, but he's obviously been watching it and he wants to know, uh, which teams you might've been rooting for while the tournament was going on or against. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Uh, yes, is the short answer. Have been watching the world cup. We both have, um, that was an incredible final. Holy cow. has to be like the best game of soccer I've ever watched live. Amazing. I was so stressed and I know people have a lot of different feelings about penalty kicks, Mm -hmm. but I love them. I love the like pure adrenaline. It is very good television. It's a terrible way to end a soccer game. It is excellent television. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm not playing the game. 
I'm watching. <laughs> so the for my value, love PKs. Um, I was rooting for the U.S. Uh, I think you should, you know, jump on a bandwagon despite what issues or problems you might have. It's like a fun time to kind of like hit yourself to your to your country, and yeah. especially we're underdogs, you know. And so that was always, that was easy for me. Once they were eliminated, uh, Argentina was. I, I I jumped on that bandwagon um, not just because the Pope is from there, but my wife uh, lived there for about a year, and so she feels very connected to that. So we were an Argentine uh, household. Yeah, I also was rooting for the United States, and then after that. It was basically a game-by-game game decision. And my my two criteria were, are you a very Catholic country? Argentina qualifies. Um, and do you Did have... Did France. <laughs> well, once it got down to Argentina versus... I think having the Pope from Argentina tips Push it there. over. The, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then on top of that, uh, Zach and I this year, or last couple of years, we've gotten really into Liverpool as a soccer team in the Premier League. And so I was looking at how many Premier League players were playing for their national team. So... so Netherlands, they had uh, Virgil, Virgil Dijk, yep. and when he missed the first PK in the game between Netherlands and Argentina, I was just like... Hurt your soul a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was also... Because part of me was like, Messi's last World Cup, I also feel for him, but... Yeah, there were some there were some very stressful and emotionally draining games. Oh my god! As, as far as who we were rooting against, I did take an opportunity to relish in Cristiano Ronaldo uh, yes. melting down yet again. Uh, yeah, and a- any other any other players from the city of Manchester, I would I would say I was rooting against mm-hmm. in the in the tournament. But that's fun. I, I wish we had more opportunities to talk about sports on this <laughs> podcast. Maybe that's how we'll. That's the new direction this show's going. It's just my sports commentary. Well, I think you you kind of give it away there, Zach. But let me just put this question to you: Are you guys like Messi versus Ronaldo? Like, where where do you stand in that kind of oh, epic soccer not even debate? Close. Messi not close. all the way. Yeah, just like looking at this World Cup window in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, Messi hands down, and maybe that's a little bit of hagiography, rose colored glasses, but that's where I would land for sure. Well, congratulations, Pope Francis. I don't know if he watched it or celebrated it, but um, certainly that's uh, true. We for, yeah, we're for recording this couple folk. couple days after. I, I haven't I haven't seen or heard any. Any reactions from the Pope? Isn't yeah. the first journalist that gets to talk to him going to ask him about that? You would think. Yeah. So. Messi has met him before, though, so yes. that might have helped. Yeah, undoubtedly. All right. Our next question comes from Twitter, and this one was sent in uh, by at C 513 And they sent in uh, what they call a real theological question. Okay, not really, but they're curious. Where do you guys get the music that you play between the segments of your show? They're not sure if we've ever, I think, revealed that in the credits or the show notes or with you guys on air. Um, but I think they want us to start doing that. You know, it's funny. People love to ask about this. And I'm always like, ah, I got to remember to ask our our sound engineer about this because Kevin Robles, he's the one who picks the music for the transitions. Um, and I will I'll let you know that today, today I texted him and said, I've been meaning to ask you this. Is is a huge pain? Could you put together? And he said, not a pain, not painful at all. He keeps a library of all the old music, um, in case anything needs changed. So it's all logged, and so he's okay. he's ready to to put it all together. Um, so uh, Kevin, you're as you're listening to this, I'm committing you to that uh, <laughs> from going on. We'll we'll put that in the show notes going forward because people, it, I mean, and you do a good job, Kevin. These are yeah, they're jams. The people love it. Yep. So I think he does do a good job of like setting the mood. The only thing that I'm listening for as the producer is like, did he throw in this like very descriptive like love song or something that's like horrible would be horribly inappropriate to air right after we have a really interesting conversation with a yeah. nun you know yeah and now nessun dorma <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you at maddie c513 for sending in your question our next question comes from chris kintor 
And Chris wants to know, what cocktail drink would you recommend for my confirmation saint, Albert the Great, whose feast day is November 15th? And first, I want to apologize, Chris, because Ashley was ahead of me and got, and she's the one who prepped for this. So um, you've got her mixologist (laughs) recommendation coming, and I hope it's better than her Irish coffee. Yes. All right. So St. Albert the Great, patron of scientists, philosophers, medical technicians, and the natural sciences. So- I did some digging into cocktails that might be appropriate for St. Albert, and I found the Sweet Science Cocktail, which is one and a half ounce scotch whiskey, one-fourth to three-fourth ounces of Drambuie scotch whiskey, and one and a half ounces. Drambuie is not scotch. It's it's a liqueur. Okay. And one and a half ounces of orange juice. So, Zach, how did I do? So, I think you did really well. I think you do a good job of looking for recipes. You're, you do a terrible job of following them. So, lucky for Chris, he he doesn't have to drink your your interpretation of this. I was joking that you would like see like orange juice on a recipe, and you'd be like, "Oh, I just squeeze like an orange highlighter over the drink, and that'll probably do it." Oh, and like Jack Daniels is the same as Scotch yep, whiskey, yep, right? Yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but no, if you a rusty nail is kind of a classic cocktail, which is Scotch and Drambuie, which is uh, that's very good. And so I've no doubt that throwing a little orange juice in there would would also be yummy. So well done. Right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'll let you make it next time. Okay, deal. Okay, and Chris had a second question that he submitted. Uh, He wants to know, what theological mystery has been the hardest for you to understand in your faith life? Just an Mm. easy toss-up there. (laughs) Interesting. Um, And do do we have to stick to, like, the church's definition of, like, capital M mysteries, like sacred mysteries, or can we broaden this? I don't think so. I think we can broaden it out. I would say, um, you know, what's something that's theological, that's related to the life of faith, that's kind of mysterious and hard to wrap your head around? All right. I was supposed to prepare for this, and I didn't, but the thing that just came to mind (laughs) was I find it really hard to wrap my head around the way that confession works. Because on the one hand, it feels like a profound person-to-person experience. And for me, that can often like trip me up that I'm actually having to talk to, to, another, this, person. to another person, to a priest that I may know very well or a priest I don't know at all. And it doesn't even I don't even have to speak the same language as them. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow bearing my soul to them, they're simply just like a vessel for God forgiving. I do me. think you have to speak the same. They have to at least understand you. Okay. I thought you could I haven't done this, but I thought you could like go to an Italian priest at the Vatican and they just kind of No, I think okay. I think they have to understand you. Okay. I, I might maybe not at the Vatican. They probably are pretty <laughs> lax about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I might need to be fact check on that, but yeah. I don't think you could just like yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that you need to understand mm-hmm. like a penance or anything. I, that's a good question. Yeah. Actually. All right, we'll look into that. But yeah, no, just this idea that this, you know, it could be a priest who's not like who hasn't been to confession himself and maybe has some mortal sin on his soul and he can still absolve me of my sins. I it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah. I think I don't think you're alone in that. There's two things there I think we struggle with as Catholics. Like the theological idea of absolution, you know, it's obviously Jesus' absolution, like through a priest, right? But then the and then there's the like interpersonal like dynamic that's tough to just get around too, right? Like um, it's one thing, if you could wrap your head around the theological mystery completely, you're still dealing with human beings. And so like, that's an entirely separate issue that I think people have issues with. And we're in a, you know, situation, are you pro or against going to confession with a priest you know personally? And I'm anti. I'm, yeah. I think one thing that I've actually struggled with is now that I'm um, a professional Catholic and know so many priests, I feel like I should go to 
priests who I know and that going to some anonymous guy is kind of like copping out because and I know this is a complete misunderstanding of the sacrament but it's mm. like I, I, I'm like tempted to treat confession more like therapy where if it's not someone who like knows me and understands where I'm coming from then it's not like it doesn't really count interesting which of course like it's not really yeah no, completely <laughs> wrong yeah it's not the right way to, but I no I appreciate like the honesty there because yeah. I'm, I'm my take is more like I don't want to like burden like a friend of mine with like having to also carry around knowing all these terrible things about me which is like a maybe not a fair way of looking at it and obviously i don't think i've never gotten that impression from any of my friends who are, who are priests oh my god no they say they hear so many confessions that the, it would be impossible for them to remember well, yeah. any individual sin but i but i know what you mean no i'm i'm very much like just go to anonymous priest and if they if they want context or follow up questions i'm sure they'll ask <laughs> It is interesting that Pope Francis has uh, said very definitively that the confessional is not supposed to be a torture chamber, right? Like as a pastor, he's saying um, because of his experience, obviously hearing a lot of confessions, but it's something that you don't say unless it needs to be said. Yeah. You know? However, so we designed it like this little box yeah. that's going to feel very claustrophobic <laughs> yeah. and kind of scary. And you, <laughs> but it's definitely and kind not of like a torture, torture chamber. chamber. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not. We swear. <laughs> So obviously your experience is not unique, Ashley. I think uh -huh. that's, that's, yeah. Take some re reassurance from Pope Francis that that's the yeah. case. Um, All right, Zach, uh, what about you? Is there a theological mystery that is hardest for you to understand in your faith life? You know, I used to struggle with these things a lot more. And it, I don't know, as I've gotten older, I, I don't like, I don't sit in mass and just be like, how does the Trinity work? And maybe that's bad and maybe I should and maybe I should meditate on it more. Um, I certainly used to, especially when I was like actually studying theology in college. These were the things that like would kind of distract me. But now I, I take a lot of it on faith and I'm pretty comfortable with that. The thing I, I, I'll say I still struggle with the most, and maybe this is going to sound contradictory, but the resurrection, right? I feel like if I if I actually understood everything that that carries with it and implies then I would live my life differently or do things differently. Um, and I'd like to think that I'm trying the best I can, best as I understand it now. Um, but that seems to be what it's all about. And I think we spend a lot of time thinking about other things, and I should probably spend more time thinking and praying on that. All right, we are going to take a quick break, but we will be back soon with some more questions. Welcome back. We're taking more audience questions for this segment of the show. What's next, Sebastian? Our next question comes from friend of the podcast, Tish Oxenrider, and she sends her question in via Twitter. What are your favorite answers from your past guests about who should be canonized? Listeners know that you guys always pose this question to guests at the end of your conversations. You guys know the lingo more than me. If you could canonize somebody, Catholic living or, or dead, not, Catholic or not, living fictional or dead, or fictional or real. Who to be? You know what's so funny? <laughs> you know what's so funny about this question is, I swear it was like twenty minutes before we were going to record our first interview. I was like, I kind of think we should have a question that we ask every single guest. And really, like it was, oh, it, we threw it in at the very last minute, and it, it, I don't. I'm so glad we did because it's. Yeah. I'm so glad we did, but I also feel like I want to apologize retrospectively to all the guests that feel so caught off guard by this question because I know the first time I got asked this on like a live recording, I was like. 
I, I don't know. I, yeah, Who am why, I supposed why? to pick? Yeah. <laughs> and so people have, whole, uh, you know, done it with such grace. I love all the people who just say their mom. I think it's the most honest answer because that was the first thing that comes to mind for me. And so I would like to say that's not a cop out. And if that's your true answer, it's okay. Yeah. I, any People go a lot of different ways with it. I do really like the... Um, I like the really personal connections too. Mm-hmm. Um, when people, it, it's not necessarily their mom. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a friend. Um, those are really touching because you can tell it like someone's carrying with them a sense of gratitude. But I also, I love fictional characters. Whenever people try that, mm-hmm. um, I always go back to someone. This is not a fictional person, but someone said Cleopatra one time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they really took us seriously when we said Catholic or not. <laughs> what is it? There was another one that I I was reviewing all of the answers. I think it was Jimmy the Cricket or something. <laughs> Another great fictional one. Someone from like, Dumbo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I, I I love those. Timothy the Mouse. Timothy the Mouse. Um, the answers I like the least. Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the reason because like she's been people do it all the time. It's, it's yeah. and she's already on her way. She she's on her way. Her people are pan- think they're pandering to the audience a little mm-hmm. bit. No, I don't think that's true. The one time I did cut off. Uh, I think it was Bishop Walk. I was yeah. like, Bishop, you cannot canonize Dorothy Day. And he's like, well, I used to live in a Catholic worker. And I was like, okay, fine. You can canonize Dorothy Day then <laughs> since you have your personal connection to it. But <laughs> any like any anyone who's like an obvious choice that's like clearly on their way, like they have a high profile and they're Catholic yeah. and they're, you know, maybe performed a miracle or two. That mm-hmm. one I, I – I get it. It's a good answer, but I'm less interested in it. Yeah. I, I tend to prefer the – the more complicated characters, um, uh, one person that came to mind when I was thinking about this was Anthony Bourdain, um, mm. who I, I was a huge fan of his work as as a, a food writer and host of many food shows. Um, and of course, he's also someone who struggled with mental illness and um, and ended up dying by suicide. But I, I think I'm not saying that he's a saint by any stretch, you know. That's not what we're doing when we ask this question. But I think it is helpful for the church to not whitewash our saints and not dress mental illness up as some sort of spiritual gift when it's actually just mental illness. Mm-hmm. And But still raise these people up as people who struggle to live a good life. Yeah. Do you guys see, like, because of the answers that you get, do you see holiness in new ways, like in your lives or in the world, because of some of the creative answers that you've heard from other people? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that seems to me something that 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 could come out of this, right? I mean, it's a kind of question that gets us thinking about holiness a little bit more. And I don't know if that was your initial intent, but totally, it was a hundred percent planned that way. Yeah. And I want full credit for any, any way that someone's thought about holiness in a different. No, um, I thought it was a cutesy little way to wrap up a, an interview, but no, a hundred percent. That's been a you know an effect. I when someone the first time someone talked about their mom as if like they were a saint and like for a public audience in a way. And I was blown away, right? Because I don't think we are invited to do that enough. Um, there's either like a generic, like, oh, we're all we're all called to be saints. And it's like, yeah, I know. Um, or it's they're they're so whitewashed that there's they're also still far away, right? So it's usually just like generalized so much. And to hear people's specific answers, like you can't help but think about specific people, either fictional or real, that you you've met in your life. Yeah. And I like how it prompts us to look in different places because this is changing in the church, but most of our saints are priests, bishops, popes, Mm -hmm. women religious. If they're they're women. uh, Yeah. And, you know, very few married people um, or or single people who aren't uh, religious. And so the idea of looking to these places where we live most of our lives, like 
the books we read, the sports we watch, the movies we watch, and and where are the people there who are um, bringing us closer to God is, I think, just a good instinct to have. Well, your audience is putting the pressure on because this last question for the episode comes from John Sieg via Facebook, and he wants to ask the both of you, if you could canonize anyone living or dead, <laughs> Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? I'm ready. You're ready? All right. You go first. Neville Longbottom <laughs> from Harry Potter. Um, I, I love the Harry Potter books. I, I, I don't think I'm a Harry Potter adult. But maybe I maybe a little bit. Um, When's the last time you read the Harry Potter books? In the pa- this year. Oh, okay. okay, so <laughs> 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 that I read other books too, um, but I did reread all the all seven books this year. Um, I, I'm just blown away by Neville as a character. I feel like he is someone who, um, despite uh, immense suffering in his life, um, never took that and lashed out on other people with it right even some of our main characters in harry potter you see them sometimes like lash out on their friends or their loved ones looking at you harry looking at you harry um and neville never does that uh and for him to stay loyal and true and um get his moment uh killing uh the final horcrux in the end i i i love neville i think he is a worthy of sainthood in the harry potter cinematic universe all right saint neville saint neville uh who do you got ashley Okay, so I'm going to go with uh, a high school English teacher I had. I had him in sophomore and senior year of high school, Mr. Gasparovic. We called him Mr. G. Uh, And I I really, it's one of those teachers where it's a cliche, but I wouldn't be here if, if I had not had him as an influence in my life. I remember the our first assignment as as um when I was a sophomore in high school, he just open-ended, write anything, write 10 pages about anything you want to write about. 10 pages? Well, oh I mean, my. this was like double, like handwritten, <sighs> double-spaced. Anyway, I, I'm sweating okay. already. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I was a sophomore girl and I wrote about my like love saga with this boy I had a huge crush on and he had a girlfriend and then they broke up and then I had stopped having feelings for him after. It was just like totally, I thought, a diary entry. <laughs> I mean, like if I look back on it now. But he took me very seriously. He said, this was really well written. You're very honest. He like, we like talked about it and he gave me constructive feedback. And it was the first time in my life that one, I was told that I knew how to write and two, that I felt that my feelings were taken seriously by an adult and and I could express myself honestly. And it kind of like set me on the path of loving fiction, loving um, writing in high school and uh now I'm here. Mr. G. Mr. G. I have two reactions to that. <laughs> one, uh, I do feel like everyone who works in like wor- works with words in some way has like that English teacher in their life, right? Yeah. Like this the one that like made them love this or think they could do it or give mm-hmm. them the confidence. Uh secondly, uh do you still have these 10 pages and can we work them into the face sharing segment somehow? Do. You do? Yeah. That's great. All right. <laughs> well, stay tuned for next week's episode, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, where we revisit Ashley's high school love life. Yep. <laughs> Is it a consolation or a desolation? I would say in the end, a consolation. All right. Great. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, writing in with your questions for Zach and Ashley. Please su- consider supporting them on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash American Media. You can also connect with them on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash group slash Jesuitical and on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Yeah, no, thanks for being here and, and pulling the letters out of the bag, so to speak. Um, I have the hard job. <laughs> um, and thanks everyone who wrote in questions. This was a lot of fun. Um, I hope that you liked it listening to it. Uh, if you give us some feedback, let us know. Yeah, thank you all. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And I'll get us out of here. Judge Whitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashlyn Kinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Bye.